Well, good morning. morning. We're glad you're here this morning. If you're glad to be here, just say amen. Amen. And we're so glad you're here. We know there's so many that couldn't make it today. So I'll tell you what we're going to do. We're going to start the gate. We're just going to pray for those people. I know today we're here and we're excited to be here and we come to worship and to serve a God that loves us. But there's a lot of people right now, maybe across our southeast Missouri, that are experiencing a loss. Maybe they've lost their home. Maybe they've lost a lot of different things. And so I think it's appropriate for us to take a moment and just to pray for those people, right? Would you just pray with me? Father God, I love you. I thank you for today. And I pray desperately for those that are displaced this morning, those that maybe um, have lost a home, maybe those that are are just trapped and stuck and just don't know what to do, and and those that are just kind of disconnected and unsure maybe what they've lost. God, I, I just pray that in the middle of whatever they're going through, that they can recognize that you're a God who loves them, a God who cares for us, a God who always seeks to meet our needs. And so, God, I pray for us in this room today. May we worship you. May we celebrate you. May your word challenge us. But I pray today that if we know somebody that's lost something or going through a tough time or has some uncertainty about you know whatever's going on based off this flood, that we would be the hands and feet of Jesus and go love on that person and to minister to them. God, we love you. I thank you for today. And it's in your awesome name that we pray. And everybody said amen. amen. We're so glad you're here this morning. And also those that may be viewing by live stream, we're kind of sampling this out. We're glad that you're watching this morning. Last week we began the series that says the Bible doesn't say that. And for me, this series is kind of really, it's a big deal. It's important for me because, and you've all done this too, and I've done this. There's times in our lives where we hear people, because we would never do this, but we hear people say things and they attribute it to God saying it, and the whole time we're thinking, I don't think it's in there, right? I just don't, I don't, I don't, I don't think it's in there. And the reason it's so important for us to talk about some of this stuff, because I've even had some conversations after last Sunday, you're like, well, are you going to talk about this one? Are you going to talk about this one? I'm like, no, 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 no. But I mean, there's a good questions because there's a point, there's a point where we got to realize that the things we think the Bible say, we need to make sure it says it, because if it doesn't, then we are actually attributing some things to God that should not be attributed to God. Which means also that we're possibly will live kind of in a way that's not pleasing to God because we're assuming some things of God that God, quite frankly, never said. And so last week we talked about the big one, which is probably the the biggest one of all of them, is to not judge others. And hopefully if you were here last week, if you weren't, you go back and listen to it, but we were reminded that the Bible is clear that we are not to worldly judge people in the way the world judges people, but the Bible does advocate biblical judgment calls. But if you remember, before we can go to anybody, what do we have to do first? Okay, about five of you remember, the rest of you slept, it's okay. We have to take the log out of our own eye before we would even consider to go to our brothers, our sisters. Today we're going to talk about a different one and said, you know, and and maybe you've never said this, but I think a lot of people say this or believe this, they just do it in a little different way. And it's the idea of that that God wants me to be happy. We should have played Steve uh, Farrell's song, Happy, this morning as we came in because I think that's what a lot of people think about God, that, you know, when I come to faith in God, that God's ultimate goal for my life is to be happy. And I think somewhere along the line, the reason we do that, and I kind of get it, I think the reason we do that is because we are creatures of extremes. Because if we think God doesn't want me to be happy, does that mean that God wants me to be miserable? Well, no, that's not true. I mean, there's no way God wants me to be miserable, so he must want me to be what? Happy. And so for a lot of people in life, we make the chief pursuit of our life to be Happy, and for happiness means a lot of different things to a lot of different people. Some people, happiness means to emotionally feel good, 
Just emotionally be in a good place and to feel good about things. For some, happiness means to be free from pain, to be free from sorrow, to be pain from hurt. If I can be free from those things, I'll be happy. And then there's a whole other group of people. That happiness to them is just, I get everything that I want. Amen? That's what happiness is. I just get everything that I want. But here's the thing I want you to know. The problem with this mentality of happiness is this, is that when I believe that God just wants me to be happy, that implies that I believe that God exists only to serve me. So when I, believe, I live my life with this, this notion that I think all God really wants me to be is to be happy, then I'm living with this notion and I'm implying that the God of the, the creator of the universe, he exists solely to serve me. Do you think there's a problem with that comment? Yeah, right. So it begs this question. Do you really think that God's ultimate goal for your life is to be happy? And if it is, when you're not happy, has God failed you? Right? Now, I just want to be real honest this morning. I do believe with all my heart that God delights when his children find moments and, and, and that they find that emotion of happiness. Let me give you a couple examples. I remember when all three of my boys were born. That was a happy moment for me. If you had kids, was that not a happy moment for you? Come on. Some of you are like, I'm not so sure. It was. It was happy. And if you were drugged, it was really happy, right? I mean, it was a happy moment for you. Now, what wasn't happy is at three in the morning when they poop everywhere, and you're like, now i got to go deal with this thing, right? That's not happiness anymore. But in that moment of emotion that, because listen, happiness is a fleeting emotion, isn't it? It comes and goes. I do believe with all of my heart that God delights in his children when we do have those moments of happiness. I do believe that. But when you read the scripture, here's what you find out. The chief pursuit of our life, it should not be happiness, but it should be holiness. And I want you to hear me this morning. Many of us are expending so much energy trying to find out what can make us happy. And what God would want to say to this morning is, no, 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 no. That's not what I want you to pursue. That's not the path I want you to go down. I want you to pursue a path not of happiness. I want you to pursue a path of holiness. So that's what we're going to talk about this morning. Not that God wants us to be happy, but God wants us to be holy. In fact, in 1 Peter chapter th uh, 1, I want to read this to you. If you would, would you just stand with me as we read God's word? 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 13 through 16 says this. Peter's speaking, he says, So think clearly and exercise self-control. Look forward to the gracious salvation that will come to you when Jesus Christ is revealed to the world. We just sang about that a while ago. That when he's going to come, right? I mean, if that, that should excite us that there's going to be a moment and time and history when the clouds are going to part and Jesus is going to descend and he's going to call us home. There should be an excitement and enthusiasm that he's coming for his church. Amen? Amen. And he says, listen, that should excite you. And then he goes on and says this. He says, so you must live, in other words, while you're here, you must live as God's obedient children. Don't slip back into the old ways of living to satisfy your own desires. You did not know any better then, but now you must be holy in everything you do, just as God who chose you is holy. For scripture says, you must be holy because I am holy. Amen? Have a seat if you would. Now, when you look at this verse, I want to go back to verse 16, because verse 16 reminds us of the chief pursuit of our life. He says this, 
He says, for the scripture says, Peter's quoting an Old Testament passage, you must be holy because I am holy. What does God want us to pursue? Holiness. And if that's the chief pursuit that God wants you and I on, based on 1 Peter here, chapter 1, verse 16, to be holy as God is holy, we better get a grip on what does it mean to be holy and what must I do to be holy. If you were to take that word holiness, and I kind of want to unpack this for a minute. If you were to take that word holiness in the Old and the New Testament, it really has, it's a different word, but it has the same meaning. There's kind of a double edge to the word holiness. There's kind of, there's ambiguity. In other words, it means really two different things. On one hand, holiness means to cut away, to separate, or to be set apart. So holiness on one side, and we'll come to the other side in a minute, but on one side of the coin means to be cut away, to be set apart, are to be separate. Now that is true of God, and that is to be true of us. For God, let's put it this way. For God, when we say that God is holy, we're saying that God is set apart. God is separate. In other words, that God is unique. There is no one like him. The psalmist in Psalms 86, 8 says it this way. It'll be on the screen. Psalms 86, 8 says, no pagan God is like you, O Lord. None can do what you do. All nations you made will come and bow before you, they will praise your holy name, for you are great and perform wonderful deeds. You alone, got that? You alone are God. See what the psalmist is saying is, God, there's nobody like you. The pagans try to have their own gods, but they don't even compare to you. We know they are not real. We know they're fake, God. But God, you are God alone. There's nobody like you. You are holy, God. You are separate, God. You are set apart, God. See, God is above us, and God is beyond us, and God is totally set apart. He is holy. But listen, that's to be true of us as well. That if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, God has called us to be holy, just as God is set apart, cut away, separate, we are to be cut away, set apart, and separate. You say, Doug, what does that mean? That means this, that we are to live differently than the rest of the world. Now, just, just think about this. How many people know someone, don't raise your hand, but you know somebody that claims to be a follower of Jesus, but nothing about their life reflects their claim to follow Jesus? And so many of us in the room probably can say there's been a season of my life. You could say that about me, right? See, to be holy begins by meaning that we need to be different from the world. We need to live different. That my life's goal is to reflect Jesus, not reflect my own desires, my own passions, my own dreams. Doug, were you, are you saying that my life is about him and not about me, it's exactly what I'm saying. And to be holy means that I need to live differently. It also means I need to be differently. Now, by being different, that means my behavior is different. That means my decisions is different. That means my thinking is different. That not only do I just need to live differently, but I need to be different. Here's what I'm saying. Quit trying to fake it. Be different. See, Christianity is not something you do. It's who you are. 
I mean, you, the, when you came to Christ, the old, crea- the old nature is gone. You're a new creation in Christ. You've been given a new nature. It's not something you do. It's not just something you put on. It's the very essence of who you are now. You are a follower of Jesus. So live different and be different in our behaviors, our attitudes, and our actions. And I just want to be real kind of candid this morning and, and kind of cross some lines here for a little bit, because if we're going to be cut away, if we're going to be set apart and separated, that means this for us. You ready? If we're going to live different and be different, that means we're going to have to get cut away from the influences of the world. Now listen to me, because some of you are going to spend most of the time that I'm about to talk about this, and you're going to go, well, yeah, I kind of agree with that. Put that aside. I just need you to hear truth for just a minute. If we are going to be holy, separate, set apart, live different, be different, we have got to cut away from the influences of the world. Let me give you three influences. Not in your listening guide, you might want to write them down. The first one is the ideologies of the world. There are two basic ideas that the world is trying to permeate the church with, permeate your life with, and here's one of those, and I'll give you both of them. The first one is this. The first one is tolerance, right? Hey, there's a, there's a real notion among the world to permeate the church and go, you know what? I know you believe that you have the truth, but you have to be accepting of everybody else around you. Now, tolerance used to mean we may disagree, but I can respect that you have a position. I'm okay with that. But today's tolerance, 2017, doesn't mean that. Now it's supposed to mean we may disagree, but you're just as right as I am. And I'm just telling you, when it comes to my faith and Muslim faith, I don't believe that. When it comes to my faith and Mormon faith, I don't believe that. When it comes to my faith and some whacked out faith that believes that Jesus is not the only way, I just don't believe that. And the funny thing about the world is this. They'll tell you that you need to be tolerant, but yet they'll become intolerant of your, li- of your lack of tolerance. Does that make sense? If you've got that one, you might want to write that one down, right? You, you get what I'm saying? And the world is permeating in our heart and mind. We've got to be tolerant. We've got to be tolerant. We've got to be tolerant. Listen, here's what we need to hear. We need to be loving and embracing, but still proclaim the truth. You take any moral issue of today's society, you take homosexuality, you take, you take any of them. We need to be loving, we need to be embracing, we need to be the light of Christ, but we need to, in a loving way, always point them to the truth of God's word. Tolerance is an idea the world is throwing at us. Another one is this, relativism. Now, you may not know what that means, but basically it means this, that what's truth for Brian White is not truth for Doug, which is not truth for Keith, but whatever truth works for you, go with it. That's the world. Now, do you see how that's permeating our world? Do you see that's permeating your home through your television or through the radio or through the magazines or through the movies that we watch? Do you see how that idea is permeating our household? Hey, whatever's truth, hey, true, whatever works for you, Chad, go for it. Whatever works for you, bud, go for it. I mean, it doesn't have to work for me, but whatever truth works for you, that's truth. Jesus said, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the light. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus didn't say, I'm a way, I'm a truth, and I'm a life. He said, I'm it, I'm the. The the, the, the in the Greek is the sign of the definite article, which means there's only one. That's why we call it the Bluff Church. There's only one Bluff Church here in Popper Bluff. Jesus says, I'm the way. That's it. There's no other way. And I'm just telling you, one thing we have to do is we have to cut away from the ideas of the world of tolerance, of relativism. But here's another thing we've got to cut away from the world. is the philosophies of the world. You know what the primary philosophy of the world is today? Me first. Right? Me first. I've said this before. 
Today's society, the Trinity is no longer the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. It is me, myself, and I, right? The philosophy of the world is me first. Whatever works for me, whatever I desire, whatever my passion is, forget what you need, forget what you want, forget your, your greatest uh, needs in life. The bottom line is this, I am consumed with one person. Number one, uno, me. Jesus said, I've come to give my life as a ransom for many. Was Jesus all about himself? No. Another thing we've got to cut away from the world is not only their ideologies and philosophies, but the desires of the world. Here's the ultimate desire of the world. Whatever you want, live for the moment. Go for it right now. Don't worry about consequences. It's all about self-gratification. If you want it, go get it. If you desire it, go have it. Whatever it is, live for the moment. And I'm just telling you, please hear me, because we've got to go on to the other side of holiness. If we're going to be holy, if we're going to live different, if we're going to be different, we've got to cut away from the philosophies, the ideologies, the desires, and the influences of the world. And I know what some of you are thinking right now, well, that's impossible. It definitely is a battle, isn't it? But is it one that you're willing to fight? The other side of the coin of holiness is this. Not only does it mean to be set apart, cut away, or separate, it means to be absolutely pure. So to be holy on one side means to be set apart, but on the other side it means to be absolutely pure. So when we say that God is absolutely pure, here's what we're saying, John, 1 John chapter 1, John says this, God is the light, and in him there is no darkness, and then he adds, at all. In other words, there's not even an inkling of darkness in God. God is so perfect. God is so sinless. God is so flawless. He is absolutely pure. So when we say God is holy, here's what we're saying. He is set apart, cut away, separate, but he's absolutely pure. So when Peter says be holy because God is holy, here's what he's saying. Believers, I want you to be set apart. I want you to live different. I want you to be different. I want you to cut away all the junk of the influences of the world. But also, I want you to be absolutely pure. Now, if you're thinking with me this morning, here's what your next thought is going to be. I'm not perfect. I'm not flawless. I'm not sinless. I've got flaws. I've got sin. I have imperfections. And the answer is, you're absolutely right. So what can we apply to what Peter's saying? Basically, we need to apply this, that while we are not flawless and while we're not sinless and we are not perfect, at least on this side of eternity, what we can apply is this, that we must be on a mission for purity. That we need to live a life and a mission trying to make ourselves more and more pure and more and more like Christ. Well, what does that mean, Doug? Well, it means that we've got to guard what we think. How many of you, don't raise your hand, but just think about this. How many of you, when it comes to mind, you just say it? That's not good. Can I just tell you that? That's not good. If you're just that immediate right now person, just, you need to buy a muzzle and you need to put it on spiritually and, or you need to buy you know, a bit and put it in your mouth like a horse and you need to tame the tongue. But I just want to tell you something. One of the things that we need to do on our path and really pursuing purity, if we're going to be holy, is that we need to guard what we think. That's why Paul says in Romans 12, don't be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your what? My mind. My mind. The devil is trying to attack my mind. That's why Paul says in Ephesians 6, put on the helmet of salvation because a helmet protects what? My mind. 
Your mind is under attack. And if we're going to walk a path of purity, we got to guard what goes into our mind, whether it's what we see, what we hear, whatever it is, we've got to guard the mind. But we've also got to guard what we see. Psalms 101.3, we've talked about this before, says this. It says, I refuse to look at anything vile and vulgar. I hate all who deal crookedly. I have nothing to do with them. In other words, he says, I will put nothing vain before my eyes. When's the last time you put something vain before your eyes? And let's, come on, no, no holy rollers. Haven't we all done it? Come on, haven't we all done it? I'm the only one that's saying, yes, I've done it. Come on, haven't we all done that? If you've watched an old-fashioned Hardy's commercial, you've done it. Right? Come on. Listen, we got to guard our eyes. Here's why. And please don't, don't miss this. Your eyes is the doorway to your soul. Your eyes are the doorway to your heart. We've got to guard what we see with our eyes. In other words, I want to say this to you when it comes to purity. We've got to take action. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 22 says this. Run from anything that stimulates youthful lust. Now, he doesn't say walk away. He doesn't say casually turn. He doesn't say just look the other way. What does he say? Run. Run. See, if I was writing that today's culture, because we don't understand context of the Greek, but if I was writing it today or he was writing it in English, here's what it would have. It would have a triple underline and a triple exclamation point, and it would be all bold. Run! That's why the Apostle Paul says, flee sexual immorality. All other sins outside the body, but sexual immorality affects the whole body, the whole being. See, he says, run from all things that stimulate youthful lust. Instead, pursue righteousness, living faithfully, love, peace, enjoy the companionship of others. I mean, basically he says this, the bottom line is this, that you need to do something to pursue purity. You need to guard your minds. You need to guard your eyes. You need to guard your heart, Proverbs says. Guard your heart above all else, for it's the wellspring of life. We need, listen, this is not a, I hope you make this decision. This is if you don't make this decision, you won't be pursuing holiness. If you don't make this decision, you won't be pursuing purity in your life. This is one of those moments where you gotta go, I have to take action because my purity is at stake. And I'm just gonna tell you, here's the thing that probably bothers me more than anything else. For most of our culture today, purity used to mean a lot. I mean, you said that word, it's kind of gave you almost that feeling of holiness. Now it just kind of, well, if it works for you, that's good. I'm telling you, we've got to get back, church, young people, adults, to the purity that God talks about. The purity of the heart, the soul, and the mind. So he says, be holy, because God is holy. God is set apart, and God is absolutely pure. And as believers, what does God want for us? He wants us to be set apart but he wants us to be on a path to pursuing purity. So that leads me to the second question. How do I get there? I'm a how-to guy. I don't know about you, but I'm a how-to guy. Like, like the Friday morning, it was interesting. It had something never happened to me before. Thursday night, signing in our bed, and it sounded like a gun had gone off in our house. I mean, literally, it sounded like a gun. And so we're checking the deck, and we're doing all these kinds of things, and, and uh, we just can't find it. And the next morning, I go out to leave, and my garage door opens like two feet, and it shuts, and I see a cable that's off, and I'm like, I don't know what's going on. So I call someone, and they said, oh, your spring busted, and it popped. And I'm like, oh, my gosh. I mean, I mean, I went down there, and the spring broke. And so, so when the guy comes to fix it, which was amazing, I watched him, and I watched 
watched him and I watched him and I watched him about how is he going to fix this problem that I have. And I think sometimes as believers, we come looking for a quick answer to fix the issues of our life instead of studying. I mean, I watched that guy from the beginning to the end and I'm so paranoid. I even go, well, did you tighten that one the same way you tighten this one? That's just me. But you know what? I was learning. Now, will I ever change a spring on a garage door? Absolutely not. Because I have to get up on a ladder, which I'm not going to do, and it may hurt me, and I'm not going to do that either. But the desire of my heart is to know how to. And I was telling you, if we're to be holy, and we understand what holiness is now, set apart and pure, how do we get there? Now, let's go back to the text. Verse 14 and 15 give us an answer. Verse 14 says this, So you must live as God's obedient children. Don't slip back into your old ways of living to satisfy your own desires. You did not know any better back then. The first thing that we need to do if we're really going to pursue holiness, he says, is we must make a break with the old lifestyle. Notice what he says there. Don't slip back into your old ways of living to satisfy your own desires. We need to make a break with our old sinful desires. Our old ways and our old lifestyle was all about satisfying ourselves, wasn't it? Your old way of doing things, your ungodly way of doing things, ultimately had one agenda. Satisfy the desires of my heart. What are some of those desires? Wealth, power, sex, prestige, financial security, relationships. I mean, we could just go on and on and on and on. Now, what's the point Peter's trying to make? He's trying to make this point. You can't let your selfish desires control your life anymore. Don't go back to those things. Those things that God saved you from and rescued you from and is trying to change you from, don't go back to those things. Now listen, isn't it true that it's easier to just go back to what we know than to change who we are? Isn't that true? Come on, isn't that true? Yes? It is true. But that's not how we're to live our lives. We find that living for Christ, I love what Paul says. He says, forgetting what is behind, I strain forward. That word strain in the Greek literally means to claw forward. Can you agree with me that living for Jesus sometimes isn't on my knees, on my face, just trying to claw my way to do the right thing at the right moment, go in the right direction? Isn't it a workout sometimes? You better believe. If you're not been there, oh, it's coming. It's coming. And some of us in those moments will have a tendency to go back to our old ways, back to our old thinking, back to our old philosophies, and to kind of buy into what we used to be instead of living for God the way he wants us to. And Peter says, listen, if you're going to be holy, you've got to break away. You've got to break away from the old lifestyle. Your desires can't control you anymore. And then he says this in verse 15. He says that we need to choose a life of obedience. Look at me in verse 14 again. He says this. He says, so you must live as God's obedient children. That we need to choose a life of obedience. That we need to choose to obey God. In fact, we need to choose to create a habit of obeying God. Here's what that means. We need to start asking questions. What does God's word say about marriage? What does God's word say about my finances? What does God's word say about my parenting? What does God's word say about loving people? What does God's word say about how I treat my coworkers? What does God's word say about my boss? What does God's word say about my money? I mean, you go on and on and on. And we've got to start asking the question, what does God's word say about whatever? Find it and then obey it. If we're going to be on a path to holiness... We've got to break from the old lifestyle, and we have to choose, choose 
to be obedient. Choose that his way is better than my way. That what he thinks is better than what I think. And his path is way more awesome than the path I think I need to head down. And then he says one more thing, and look at me in verse 15. If we're really going to pursue a path of holiness, look at verse 15. He says this last of all. He says, but now you must be holy in everything. Everybody say everything. Everything. What does everything mean? Okay, great. Along the same page. You must be holy in everything you do, just as God who chose you is holy. You know, basically what Peter is saying is this, and this is so huge for us. He's saying, I need you to kill the distinctions between your private and your public life. I can't tell you the number of people that I've met in my life that talk about faith in Jesus, but they talk about it in a public, I mean, a private sense. That that's just kind of between me and God. Have you ever heard anybody say that? Well, that's just between me and God. Well, there's some things that's just between you and God. I get that. But what we do is we try to use it as a cop-out to me that all I have to do is live and honor God in private, maybe even in my home a little bit. But when I'm in public, I don't have to be that guy. I don't have to be that Jesus freak or that person who really is trying to live for God because my public life and my private life are separate. And I just want to tell you, if you believe that, you are dead dog wrong this morning. Like I said a while ago, being a Christian is not what, something you do or something you put on. It is who you are. It's the very nature of who you are. And what Peter's saying is, he says, listen, I want you to pursue holiness in everything you do. That includes public, and that includes private. And listen to me, if you're that person, you go, well, I just don't know. I know that I can be a Christian, I come to church, I worship God, but I don't have to talk to my coworkers about Jesus. We'll just read Romans 1.16. Because Paul says this in Romans 1.16. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it's the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes. Do you think Paul publicly lived his faith for Jesus? That's a yes or no. What do you think? Talk to me. You think he did? I think he did. You know why? He was always in jail. <laughs> he was always in jail. You're like, oh, that's what it means. I, well, you, could it come to that in our culture? It's sad to think, but one day it could. It's one day sad to think that I could preach against sin and we get in trouble because I preach against sin in the world we live in. Right? The bottom line is this, is that he says, I want you to be, pursue holiness in every area of your life. Not just your private life, but your public life too. I want you to be the light of Christ in your behavior, in your decisions, and in your words. No longer should we be distinguishing between public and private. Now, I'm going to say this to you, and we're going to wrap this up. There was a group many years ago, and if you're my age or older, you might remember them, a group called DC Talk. You know, if you remember them, they were a Christian. They were what I would call rap. Today, you would laugh at them and say, no, that was more pop, but they did some rapping. But they did this song, and basically, I don't remember what the song was called, but the beginning of the song talks about this. It says, the number one cause for atheism is Christians. And I thought, that's stupid. That makes no sense. Then you start reading the Gallup polls. And then you start reading George Barnes' polls. And what you find out about atheism is this. Many people are atheists because they've seen people who claim to be called to be Christians but don't live the life. And they're like, I don't need that. And so they continue in their atheism. And I realize that's probably more of a true statement than not. So if you're in the room today and you claim to be a follower of Jesus Christ, your workplace should know it. Your home should know it. Your friends should know it. 
If you claim to be a follower of Jesus, people around you should know it. I'm not saying you got to put a halo over your head and go, look at me, look at me, look at me. But what I am saying is my attitudes, my actions, my behavior, and my decisions should reflect that I follow Jesus. Amen? So the chief pursuit of your life and my life should be to pursue holiness, to be set apart, to be pure. But if we're going to get there, We've got to make a break from the old lifestyle. We have to choose a life of obedience. And we have to decide to kill the distinguishing factor between the public and our private lives. And I know, as sure as I'm saying that, some of you out there are going, yeah, Doug, I hear you. But the truth of the matter is, I still think I really want to be happy. And I think when people say they want to be happy, it's because somehow they equate happiness to peace. Right? If I'm happy, maybe there'll be peace. Or if I'm happy, maybe there'll be fulfillment. Or if I'm happy, maybe I'll have purpose in life. I think sometimes people say they want to be happy because somewhere they equate happiness to peace, fulfillment, and purpose. But I'm here to tell you this morning, the only way you're going to find peace, the only way you're going to find purpose, and the only way you're going to find fulfillment in life is you begin to pursue holiness and be more like Christ. Because when I pursue to be more like Christ, my eyes are open I let go of myself, and I really begin to follow him, and he begins to show me things I never would see. In fact, I want to say this to you. If you pursue holiness, what you will find out is that God will give you something greater than happiness. He'll give you joy. He'll give you joy. See, joy is not an emotion. Joy is a knowledge. You know, let me give you a quick definition of joy. And this, this is Doug's warped definition. You ready? Joy is being in the deepest, darkest tunnel in life and knowing that God has provided a way out. That's joy. So when I pursue holiness, it gives me something way better than happiness. A fleeting emotion it gives me joy. And so my prayer for us this morning, if you're a believer today, if you say that you follow Jesus, my prayer is that you would make a commitment to become holy, to be holy that you would choose today before you leave this room, okay, God, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to cut away and, and I'm going to kind of make a break from my old lifestyle. God, I'm going to choose, even if I don't get it, even if I don't like it, I'm going to choose to obey your word. And God, then I'm going to look forward to the joy that you're going to put in my life. So if you're a believer today, that's my prayer for you, that you would choose to be on a path of holiness today to be set apart, to be pure. But if you're going to do that, you've got to make a commitment. You've got to make a choice to nix the old lifestyle, commit to obeying, and look forward to the joy that God's going to put in your life. And then if you're here today and say, Doug, I, I don't have a relationship with Christ. Listen to me. I'm going to ask you the only way to be holy, the only way for you to be holy is by faith in Jesus Christ. And if you've never trusted him as your Savior, would you do that today? So I'm going to ask you, would you all just stand with me? Everybody stand, every head bowed and every eye closed. Just right now, stand with me. And I just want to pray for you for a moment. I want to pray for those in the room, first of all, that are believers. Just every head bowed and every eye closed. There's some of you in the room today that your story goes like this. I know that I'm a follower of Jesus, but I'm not pursuing holiness. People in my workplace, maybe people at my home, People in my school, people around me have no idea that I really am a follower and a lover of Jesus. And your story goes like this too, that you know what? You know it, 
And what are you going to do about it? You can choose to pursue holiness, to be set apart, and to be pure. But you're going to have to make some change. You're going to have to take action in your life. Like nixing the old lifestyle and choosing obedience. And I guess my question for you today is, will you do it? Because I don't know about you, but sometimes in my life, I am so tired of the same mess I put myself in all the time. And all I've got to do is make a choice to change. It's that easy. And then I want to pray for those of you that don't know Christ today. That you would realize the only way to be holy, the only way to be pure, the only way to be set apart, the only way to be in the right standing with God is through faith in His Son, Jesus. And if you've never trusted Him as your Savior, I'm going to be standing on the right, your right side of the room and I would love for you to step out of your chairs and come find me and let me tell you about what it means to know Him. God, I love you. I thank you for today. I thank you that as we come to this question or this idea that you want us to be happy, that you have something greater in store for us than happiness. You hold joy for us. You want us to have unspeakable joy. And God, what you want us to pursue in life is not a fleeting emotion, but you want us to pursue a lasting change of holiness. And I pray for believers. I pray that if we are not making that choice today, we would make that decision. Today, we would make that commitment that, God, I'm going to do all that I can with your help and your power to pursue holiness. But, God, I pray for that person that doesn't know you. Today, may they put their faith in Jesus as their Lord and their Savior. May they surrender their life, their minds, and their hearts to him. God, just work among us today. May your spirit fall fresh on us and move in our hearts only as he can. For it's in your precious and glorious son's name we pray. Amen. Amen. If you need to be prayed for or just need to chat with someone, I'll be right over here and we'll love to talk to you. You respond how God would want you to. Let's worship together. Here's my heart, Lord. Here's my heart, Lord. Here's my